0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's
1: talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix.
0: Yep, Tommy's here. It's Thursday. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. When we were on Tuesday, Tommy, I told you about my sleep study. I don't have the results back from that but i wanted to wait until you got here because you decided after being diagnosed with some form of sleep apnea or whatever not to do what they told you to do i swear to god after telling that story at least a dozen people tweeted me to say dude it changed my life oh i know i've heard... after being diagnosed with it and then wearing the mask and doing the things at night it's changed their I've, lives i've
1: heard the stories i've i've heard the same stories I don't have severe sleep apnea. You have severe other things. It's very mild at best. I sleep fine generally. So it doesn't get in the way of my sleeping. And uh, I'm just not going to wear a mask.
0: You sleep better than you move?
1: I I move pretty good. You
0: do move much better now than you did with your new knees. Yes. Which I'm you know, thrilled about, that you're moving around much better, because I used to have to essentially walk you <laughs> wherever we went. Uh, the NBA draft is tonight. Uh, I will have a mini preview of sorts coming up.
1: You know, there's a draft party tonight. The Wizards are having a draft party. Really? Yes, at the Entertainment and Sports Arena.
0: Wow. Are you going to go?
1: No, I'm not going to go. Uh, but uh, Tommy Shepard's going to be there.
0: Well, I mean, he would be one of the several people involved in the consensus, patience, um, new NBA construct structure (laughs) environment for the Wizards. And Scott
1: Brooks will be there, too. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to try to get somebody from there on the show tomorrow after the draft. Um, But I, I will have... I will give you players I like in this draft, players I don't like, and then specifically who I don't want the, the Wizards to take at number nine and who I'd like them to take at number nine of the players that are projected to be there. So that's coming up shortly. Um, I also uh, want to talk about Rob Ryan at some point this morning because there was a story on Redskins.com written about Rob Ryan with a bunch of quotes in there that I thought were very interesting. So we'll get to that as well. But how about Max Scherzer last night?
1: The legend of Max Scherzer. Wow. His, Did his you, lore. Were only you there? Grows. No, I wasn't there. I watched it on I, TV. I watched it too. Yeah.
0: It, it, it was hard to turn off. Yeah. First of all, just the picture of him and and that black eye, and him on the mound with that. That wasn't just a black eye. That was a standing eight count yeah. black eye. Yeah. But he said no pain at all. Said it was not an issue at all. He said he's been in much more pain in pitched before. Um, but he was unbelievable last night. Seven complete innings, four hits, no runs, ten strikeouts, and the Nats completed the doubleheader sweep of the Phillies with a 2, no- two nothing win last night.
1: The Phillies look like the Nats. Used to look yeah. earlier this season. They're having all kinds of issues. And if nothing else, that Scherzer start will certainly raise his trade value, won't it? Do you, are you being serious? No, I'm being... I'm making fun of the geniuses who suggested if the Nats are out of it by July 31st, that they should trade Max Scherzer.
0: Well, first of all, just the notion that his performance last night would raise his trade value is (laughs) stupid. His trade value is already super high, yes. and I'm sure they could pull back a boatload for him. Um, Here's the thing, though, Tommy, about the Nats. They're not that
1: far off. See, that's the thing. Why would they're, you? They're not the Royals. They're not the they're, Orioles. They're not the Orioles. They're not the Marlins. It's not either. Break it down to zero to build it back up. They, they, with the revenue they have, with the core group they have, they are, they are, right now, they are always one off season away from competing. Well, that's pretty much they, it.
0: They may be an in season yes, away they from may. competing. Yes, Especially after the next after tonight, if they play the game tonight, because there is definitely heavy showers and thunderstorms in the forecast for tonight, even more so than than yesterday and last night. But with that series with Atlanta this weekend, they could get right back into it.
1: Yes, they can. But my point is, it was so absurd when I read these stories about trade. I mean, fans now. They're obsessed with this notion. Oh, that, that, uh, that you have to tear it apart mm-hmm. to build it back up again. Like it's either zero or sixty miles an hour. There's nothing in between. The Nats, if, if 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 they don't they are not gonna have to tear down a team in order to compete next year. They are just one they have a lot of money going off the books this year. They are just one free agency offseason away from competing again. You're right. They're still very much in the mix right now. But uh, th- this fan notion that like prospects are like monopoly money. Oh, we got to get those prospects.
0: It's funny about sports. The, the Major League Baseball, actually the NFL, a, a lot of people enjoy the offseason and trade deadline more than the games. Yes. Now, in these sports where you're playing 162 or 82, it, it does provide, you know, uh, uh, another source of of entertainment because the games do and can be you know can run long and and, and get a little bit tiresome in a 162 game schedule, but they're not that far off. You know what they are missing a bullpen. Yes, if they find some bullpen, they should be buyers. They should be thinking about being buyers right now. Adding you know uh, mid relief and late inning relief. Although Doolittle is good enough as a closer. Because their starting rotation's good enough. Offensively, when they're healthy, they're plenty good enough Yes, right now to be an 85-90 to 90 win team. You know, they're, they're, I was looking at this late last night after they, after they finished that game. There are they're, they're two teams right now in Major League Baseball with losing records but positive run differential numbers. And the Nats are one of them. The Reds are the other, and all of a sudden, the they're Reds red hot. have a
1: chance to make a move in in the Central Division. Absolutely, yeah.
0: they've gotten really, really hot. But the Nats now have a positive plus seven run differential with a losing record. Uh, you know, at three games under five hundred, which, by the way, is as close to five hundred as they've been since you know April early in or the early in, in May. Um, but the, you know, tonight and then three games against Atlanta this weekend could totally change the way anybody's thinking about. Stupid things like trading Scherzer. I, I, you'd have to tell me, you'd have to. I mean, I'm I'm open to anything. So if somebody made the case that you'd bring back so much help for this particular team that could make this team better than it is, th- it would be a better team without Scherzer with what they'd bring back. I, I'd be open to that, but it's hard for me to believe that losing Max Scherzer would make you a better team.
1: Well, I wouldn't be open to it because, again, they're, they're prospects. You don't know how good they're going to be. And even in a good deal, you're getting prospects that other teams are willing to give up, you right. know, so, so they're not the greatest prospects. It's just, look, it, it's, it's the sheep mentality in sports today. Everybody follows the herd. And, you know, one guy says, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta do what the Houston Astros did. You know, well, the Houston Astros went through an ownership change, and the new owners came in and said, we got to break, break it down and build it back up. That was a different scenario than what the Nats are in. They they don't have to do that. They just have to if if they fall short this uh, this off se- this season, they just have to retool. They don't have to rebuild. They're not the Royals. They're not the Marlins.
0: I I tend to agree with you. I mean, I I think there was a moment in this season when they fell, what, 12 games below 500. You knew it was partially injury-related and certainly bullpen-related, but there was a sense of doom 12 games below 500, as there would be with any team that's favored to win a division and starts off so poorly. But they've worked their way back here you know in June in particular in, in in a way in which they're back in this thing. I know Atlanta's playing very well, and that's why you know it's hard to say that a, a series in in late June is so critical, but it will be somewhat telling how they perform against Atlanta this weekend they They swept Atlanta in that two game set uh, in Atlanta a few weeks ago, end of may but if if somehow they won tonight and then took two of three against Atlanta, Tommy. They're right back in this thing
1: and Absolutely. we're not even at the all-star.
0: break. I know. So, I know.
1: Look, and one of the things I pointed out in order to do that in a column that I wrote for yesterday is that what they can't afford to do. And this, is what Dave Martinez himself said, they can't afford to basically have two or three losses in a row yeah. anymore. You can't, you can't do that, you know? And, and I, I went back and looked at every year, like 2013, 2015, and last year, where they were always playing from behind and fell short. And they were so many stretches where they lose three in a row, four in a row, five in a row, six in a row. You can't, If you're going to climb back, you can't go on those kind of stretches. You, 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 I mean, you just have to inoculate yourself from them. And they have arguably a pitching staff that should prevent them from doing that with Corbin, Strasburg, and Scherzer. Right. They should never be in a losing streak with that staff.
0: Um, one more thing about Scherzer, um, specific to last night. I, this guy, Tommy, you're better um, at at putting this in the proper context. But right now, he's going to be the first Washington National that goes into the Hall of Fame as a Washington National. Am I
1: right about that? Well, unless he goes in as a Detroit Tiger.
0: Wouldn't he, at this point, given the the length of time he's been here, isn't he more Nat than he is Tiger? I
1: think he was with Detroit longer right now. I think by the time his career is over, he would have stayed with the Nats more. This is year
0: five with the Nats, and he was in Detroit for five years. Yeah,
1: okay. So, And and again, this is something that the Hall of Fame generally decides, but they— but they'll leave it up to the player most of the time, and I can't fathom Max Scherzer not going and in, going into the Hall of Fame as anything but a Washington National. I love, and him. then he would. You're right; he would be the first. Right, the first uh, guy where fans could make the trip up to Cooperstown, feeling like they have something to celebrate.
0: Yeah. So let's keep that in mind when you're talking about trading the the, the franchise's first, you know, yeah. future Hall of Famer. He's got three Cy Youngs. Three Cy Youngs, and by the way, is in the hunt this year right yes. now. Yes,
1: three Cy Youngs, one in each
0: league. Right, Aaron? He's in the hunt right now. The, he's, the he's, Dodgers, not fa-
2: he's not a favorite right now. Who's but the he's favorite?
0: In... The, the Dodgers starter? Ryu, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Um last, but he's up there. Last night, though, was one of those Scherzer performances. He was so dominant. Anytime he got in even, you know, a sort of trouble, there was a leadoff double in the fifth or sixth, I forget, and he struck out two of the next three. And he looked like he was in pain. He looked uncomfortable. But one of the reasons I love Scherzer is he is a show-me guy. And he doesn't ever wallow and woe is me kind of stuff. And his quotes after the game, and I watched the press conference, you know, that they actually carried on Masson last night, but I'll read some of the quotes. Trust me, he said, this thing looks a lot worse than it actually is. I felt zero pain. There's been plenty of other injuries where I felt a lot of pain and I've had to pitch through it. I'll hang my hat on those starts, but not tonight. Uh, he said, but tonight I felt zero pain. This is part of what you have to do. You take the ball every fifth time. Do you know how many guys in that situation would have said... Uh, you know, it it, it was uncomfortable. I, I've never, you know, felt that. You know, after a great performance, oh, to, yeah. to to build it up as if it was something even oh, more absolutely heroic. Absolutely, there were not guys. No,
1: not him. Not him. Now, to be fair, that Max Scherzer, that that bulldog, has not shown up in the postseason. I know he hasn't. You know, and that's that's fair. <laughs> it
0: it well in in the biggest spot. Yeah, you know, against the uh, against the Dodgers. And Game 5, I mean, there, there, there have been a couple of spots for him, right? Yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is Strasburg's had a bigger post postseason moment than Scherzer's had. Yes. For the Nats. Yeah, His but Game it, it 4 took, right. at Wrigley was to right, keep him it, alive in the series. It took
1: Strasburg trying to beg out of the game <laughs> <I know. laughs> to turn it into a big moment.
0: Uh, but the final result was yes, a big was. moment. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, good win for them. I don't. It would suck if they don't play the game tonight. That means they would have gotten two of the four in. If they get tonight in, because tonight can't be rescheduled for any time soon, I would think that tonight Aaron would also go at you know further. The, the game yeah, the other day in went September. into late September. Yeah, Tuesday was late in the season, so yeah. I think this one would be as well. You know who
1: the Nats finish a season with? The Indians.
0: That's their final series. That's their of the year?
1: final series at home with the Indians. How weird is that? That's strange.
0: That's really strange. By the way, I had one other um, quick thing about Scherzer. Do you know in his last four starts and his l- it, well b- before last night? Um, I'm sorry. It was it was a combination. I read I read this this morning. There's a combination of like five out of the last eight starts. His teams generated. Literally no offense, very little offense in the first five to six innings oh, yeah. of the game. So he's never pinch- pitching in a comfortable like he's not, score he's not, situation. He's
1: not going out there four to nothing in the fourth inning. Right, exactly.
0: Right. Um, all right, uh, I want to get to the NBA draft. Can I do that? Yes, yeah, sure. And, and I'm, I'm going to rip through some of these things. And Can then, I go get something to eat? No, I want you to listen very carefully and then fire any appropriate questions, follow-up questions that you have. For me. Um
1: It's gonna be with a zip gun. I don't really have a whole lot of firing apparel. Here.
0: <laughs> well you'll like the first part. So the NBA draft is tonight. The Wizards have the ninth pick overall, unless of course their general manager makes a trade. Yes. Before. Yes. But who would that be?
1: They don't have one. Um there it, it might be Zach. It, it could Zach be... Zach might say, Hey, I got an idea.
0: I got an idea. I got
1: an idea. Hey Dad, I got an idea.
0: But you know the significance of tonight is that this is the first draft without Ernie Grunfeld since 2002. 16 straight drafts manned by Ernie Grunfeld starting in 2003. Um, He made, Ernie did, 13 first round selections for the Wizards over his 16 seasons as general manager. He had seven lottery opportunities over those 16 years. Two of them were traded away. I'll get to that in a moment. The other five lottery picks were Jarvis Hayes, at number 10. That was his first pick back in 2003. The guy he took in the second round had a much better pro career, and that was Steve Blake yes. in 2003. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, he picked uh, Juan Dixon in 2003. 2004 was Blake. Uh, John Wall was his next lottery selection at number one overall in 2010. Jan Vesely was the sixth overall pick, a lottery pick, in 2011. Beal at number three in 2012, and Otto Porter at number three in 2013 so he picked five lottery players to you know top 14 players which really if you look at the nba draft i know you can get lucky at 12 at 15 at, at 22 but you know you really I, I mean i would hold a general manager more responsible for the lottery picks than you know, Pesheroff at number 19 or wherever Pesheroff was taken. Right. Um. It, it'd be great if he found players later in the first round and the second round. I'm not saying that it wouldn't have been a positive and it's a negative that he didn't, but you really have to judge him on the players that ha- have more of a chance, I guess, of, of really impacting a franchise. By the way,
1: you may, you bring up Pesheroff. Uh, I, I remember I, I happened to be in Vegas when the summer league was playing that summer after I drafted him. Right. And I went to watch the Wizards play. I went to watch him play, and I remember thinking, "Man, this guy can play." I thought I thought that they had really found something there in, in Petrov. So that, so that gives you the value of summer league play.
0: By the way, I, Steve Blake was the second his second round pick in two thousand three. So uh, Juan Dixon was picked the year before in the Jared Jeffries uh, draft. Anyway, so. Ernie with the opportunity, with seven lottery opportunities in his 16 years. Jarvis Hayes, nothing. John Wall and Bradley Beal, obviously all-stars. Yes. Jan Vesely is the MVP of the EuroLeague this year, <laughs> um, but was a bust here. And Otto Porter, I, I would just say not good enough to be the number no, three pick. absolutely Overall, not. the two trades that he made when he had a lottery selection where the number five over was the number five overall pick in 20 in 2004, which was one of the better, if not, you know, top three or four trades of Ernie's career. Cause he had a lot of good trades when he sent the horrible contracts of Jerry Stackhouse and Christian Laettner and number five to Dallas for Antoine Jameson. That was a great trade for the wizards. Um, the fifth pick turned into Devin Harris, a uh, good player, not what Jamison was here. The other trade was a disaster. In 2009, he traded number five overall for Randy Foy and Mike Miller to Minnesota, a trade that involved other insignificant players from the w- Wizards, but it was a total disaster, I think, influenced by Abe Poland, who wanted to see a playoff team before he passed away. And he actually ended up passing away about six months later, not to even see that particular NBA season. Um, but anyway, here we are again, the Wizards with another lottery pick and someone for the first time in 16 years other than Ernie Grunfeld making it. We're just not sure who it is. right? Because after all of these years of so many people, you much more than anybody else, of saying, get somebody, get Ernie out of here and get somebody, and they did get Ernie out of here, they just haven't hired somebody no. to take his place. Here.
1: And that is <clears throat> that is addition by subtraction. Because the seed is better off empty than it was when Ernie Grunfeld was sitting there. Well,
0: we'll it. find out, won't we? Yes. Um, because Ted, Zach, Tommy Shepard, Scott Brooks, you know, Ted's whole, we're going to do a consensus evaluation exercise, you know, emphasizing the new construct of the NBA. Jesus, God, did you read some of the quotes yesterday well, in well, that post story? Well, again, you know what that, again. Insufferable, this dude.
1: That is more backpedaling from the fact that they got slapped down oh, with tampering.
0: I agree with you. I, I mean, they, totally they, agree They, with they
1: you. got their head handed to them with the threat of tampering charges against them to the point where they fed Candace Buckner the first story and then went out of their way to issue this ridiculous statement in yesterday's story. Right. I mean, they are backpedaling because they, whatever hope they had for jury they have blown. That is over.
0: Look, I we, I had this conversation with Ben Stande yesterday. I I do believe you and and your your sources, and I think that there's a lot that, that they and I do not believe Ted that there was no interest. I just don't oh, think that's... that that's true at all. Um, but I think what may have happened, and I think a reasonable, you know, scenario over the last month was that. Ujiri would have been interested had they not won the title, had they not made this deep run. And Ted was waiting for Ujiri, thinking that he would be able to interview him, uh, interview him, and potentially hire him at some point during the Milwaukee series. You know, when they were down two nothing, which by the way now is over a month ago. You know, with how long these NBA playoffs in the series take, so he would have had somebody hired in a timely manner, and or Tommy would have been denied at that point and would have moved on and made a hire since. But he put all. I think he put all his eggs in the Ujiri basket, and the Ujiri basket ended up not being available to open until much later than anybody anticipated. But I do not. That
1: doesn't explain the the Woj report. The minute the uh, no, no.
0: no, I believe that they were interested. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
1: And and, you know, even the Conley uh, courtship that they tried, they screwed that up because, according to reports. At the minimum, he wanted five years. And I don't think he was ever going to come here either. And according to my sources, part of the reason was uh, Tommy Shepard was his mentor when he was here. He's very close to him. They're very good friends. I don't think he would have taken a job that Tommy Shepard was up for unless you made him an Ujiri kind of offer, which they didn't come close to making. At this point, I don't know why Ted just doesn't give the job to Tommy Shepard. You know, I mean... Well, because again, I mean, you, that's not that's not what you're trying to do. You are trying to sell to your fans. There's base. nothing to
0: sell. There's nobody available. Right. To no. Sell. Well,
1: that's that's his fault. Yes, I'm saying that's that, now he's stuck. Right. Where he he's got to use the le- the only guy left in the room. Yeah, the, sort of like a Jim Zorn situation. With all due respect to Tommy Shepard. Uh, right. It's the same thing. He's the only guy <laughs> left in the room.
0: No, I'm I'm glad you put out the all due respect yeah. because Tommy Shepard's no Jim No, Zorn. no,
1: I, I'm not saying that. I'm right. just pointing out that he's... Jim he's, Zorn
0: shouldn't have... She, Tommy Shepard is a is qualified to be an assistant GM yes. and probably a GM. Jim Zorn wasn't even qualified to be an offensive
1: coordinator I and agree. was hired to be that. But but he stuck with the last guy left in the room higher. And the thing that he should have done when he bought the team in 2010... When he finally took over full ownership after Abe died, was fire Ernie and tell all the fan base we're not going to do business as usual anymore. Tommy Shepard, however good he may be, is business as usual until he does different.
0: No, I, I, I don't look. If you're if if you're saying that because there's nothing that's going to inspire the fan base at this point. I don't even know that Masai Ujiri would really inspire the fan base. I think it would to some extent. Only results are going to inspire the fan base. Zion Williamson, had the Wizards won the lottery, it wouldn't have mattered who the GM was.
1: No, it wouldn't have. But I think a guy like Ujiri would have brought back a lot of people who literally have... Swore off the franchise because of Ernie. You know what?
0: I di- I agree with you that Eujiri's different sounding than Tommy Shepard, but I just don't think that this fan base—and it's not a, a a hardcore, large, you know, passionate fan base. It's a bandwagon fan base when they when they were playing in game 7 against the Celtics the game did a ridiculous tv rating it's essentially the only one and i've always said that if they get to that point where they're in game 7's you know midway or later in the playoffs you'll see how many people are interested in basketball but this team isn't any good, and so I don't think that the hiring of Masai Ujiri, other than the fact that he was the, the GM of the, the, the NBA champions, and it would be intriguing, I don't think it's going to make people go out and buy tickets.
1: I think it would make some. I don't. I think it would bring some back.
0: Um, the uh, I, I do with you here, because I did it with Ben yesterday, I just want to read the quote because, you know, this is clearly not gone the way Ted wanted it to go. He can't admit that, of
1: like, course. Like I, like I wrote in my column, he turned... The most important open job in sports into a whoopee cushion. <laughs> no
0: doubt. Is that what you wrote? Yes. I didn't see that column. Yeah. Did you send it to me?
1: Yes, I did. Um, when he and you ignored it, just like you. No, usually I usually
0: do. I, I tend to read them. Um, when he when he said in this you know hand delivered story to Candace Buck of the Washington Post. I know. When he said, "quote I intend to create a leadership team when it feels exactly right and is in alignment with our findings and our." final develop specifications i mean wait a minute you told us a month and a half ago that this is the best available job in all of sports what you're telling me that you at nothing nobody you've interviewed has felt right yet like all the greatest people that want the greatest job available job in sports
1: nobody impressed you you I know mean, what's funny yeah. about about this the whole report Look, I understand NBC Sports Washington being Ted's house organ. He owns a piece of the network. I right. get that. Yeah. I'm surprised the Washington well, Post, yeah, especially has, with his view on been, newspapers in general, has been willing to t- to take part in this charade. I know. It really cuz it's a charade.
0: I intend to create a leadership team when it feels exactly right and is in alignment with our findings and our final developed specifications. I just read that at 3 times the speed he said it, by the way. Um, as I have said, we will likely use many hands, make light work is a mantra as we seek to establish a new organizational construct that is in line with you the guys, future of the NBA. You guys,
1: you got to rewind that statement that, that Kevin made because it's the best line I've heard in a long time. And then he
0: says, he says, creating a shared platform on health sciences, data analytics, venue oh management, skills God. training, etc. For all of our basketball franchises. You know, there is, I think you feel the same way, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but there's a certain amount of distrust I have, not in that I believe someone's a dishonest person, but in their overall capability to execute and deliver when they can't tell you in normal words, what it is they're doing here. This is corporate tech speak, start to finish. It's the way he speaks. It's... It's f- literally 30 seconds longer than it needs to be. Of course, people would say that about me, too. <laughs> and, and and using, you know, phrases and words that don't fit in what you're trying to describe. Just say, look, we haven't found the right guy yet. Period. We're looking. We haven't found the right guy. We want to fi- find a guy that, that fits what we're looking for in our job description. But my God, construct and dev- final develop specifications. It's like he's, you know... It's like he's building something. Like he's he's putting he's at a, a medical company, and they're they're in R and D for a new med, you know, for a new medicine to cure something.
1: You he, know, we this, haven't seen it. Just seen, doesn't fit. We haven't he's, seen he's insufferable. We haven't seen the best that's yet to come from Ted, the the ace the ace Rothstein era. Oh, when that when that, would when be that the worst. happens, when le- when the sports betting finally gets legalized in D.C. and he opens up his sports book at the Old Green Turtle, yeah. Wait till that happens.
0: Oh, it's going to be terrible. It is going to be terrible because he already, in his discussion about sports gambling, comes off as either a complete naive, naive, never gambled before person, like a total mark he comes off as, or he's being totally disingenuous. I I think it's the former, personally. I don't think he's out to, to basically create this massive business with sports gambling to take advantage of all of the suckers out there that'll believe that if you hold on let me that if you're really strong in health sciences analytics venue management skills training etc that you'll be able to beat the house i think he actually believes that his aol cronies are smart enough with all of their data to beat the house
1: and you know, and I'm by not the way, su- he
0: doesn't own the house. He's just going to provide the gambling. The DC lottery is going to take the hit on that.
1: I'm not sure. Look, you've spent a lot of time in sports. You've spent time in sports books. Okay, uh, just a little bit. Okay, uh, how about
0: I've spent time as an actual bookmaker. Okay, in college. Okay, all right. So I understand, but, but I mean, that side of the, the house, the
1: atmosphere of a sports book. Right. I don't think Ted is really ready for the atmosphere of the sports book that's going to be in that green turtle. I mean, you're not going to get the cream of the crop. If you've ever been in a sports book and you see the crowds that hang out. Okay. We're not talking about the upper echelon of DC society here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. Okay. And I, aggr- I don't I think ag- I agree with what you're and saying. And I don't
1: think Ted is ready for that.
0: And as we've talked about previously, and somehow i i will work my way back to this nba draft thing that i have <laughs> but the reason revenues haven't reached where they thought they would go in the areas that have legalized it already and there's been a lot of early you know returns uh, in, uh, from states that have legalized sports game uh, gambling is because the big gamblers aren't going to go to sports books to wager to legal sports books to wager they're going to continue to illegally bet With credit from home, conveniently, and I know that you'll be able to bet, you know, eventually, you know, legally through your phone from home, and you won't have to enter a sportsbook. But they're getting the casual better who rarely bet before, who's betting ten and fifteen bucks a game. That's why revenues aren't, you know, where they thought. They thought that this would turn into that everybody that gambles is now going to stop gambling the way they've been gambling and start gambling legally. Not going to happen. The truth of the matter is Tommy, and I've had conversations with people about this, people who I know are on, you know, that that side of it, the illegal side of it, is that the the legal sports books aren't going to turn this into the business they think they are going to have until the illegal betting options are gone, are removed. Because you have to offer credit. You've got to give your customer the ability to bet bigger on credit with, you know, obviously the ability to pay it off. Um, But you're, you're, you're attracting right now. My guess is, and the reason, and I've read about revenues being nowhere near what they had projected in the States that have already legalized it. My guess is, is what I thought it would be from the beginning is that, you know, the, the guys that never had access to gambling, that think it's really cool, that have been primarily fantasy guys, you know, in fan, you know, legal fantasy, uh, uh games and 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 leagues now they can bet but they're not they're not big betters because if you were really a a better or a gambler and really interested in it you would have been doing it already. Yeah. Because it was pretty easy, right, Aaron, to find a book somewhere. <laughs> now so,
1: this is gonna be I, I'd be surprised if the crowds you see in Ted's sports book because remember, the plan is I understand it, you can go into the sports book even if you're not going into the arena, that's the whole attraction of the Green Turtle. Yeah. So you, in other words, you don't have to buy a ticket to the event to probably go in the sports book and bet. That's the whole point of this. Just think of the line to buy lottery tickets at the Seven Eleven in D.C. It, it, think about it, it, that. It won't. It won't be exactly that. It'll be like that. No,
0: it won't. It, look. You and I have both spent time. Aaron spent a lot of time in Vegas sports. Vegas is different. Vegas is totally different. Um, But I. I, I've spent enough time in OTB. It's not. It's not going to be. I was just going to say it's not going to be racetrack OTB crowd. It's not. It's going to be. It's going to be a cut above that. Okay. It will definitely be a cut above.
1: We'll that. see. We'll take a but, we'll
0: take a field trip down. Uh, but I but I don't <laughs> think it's going to it, no. It's not going to be degenerate heaven. It, 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 you're, you're, remember, OTB and race were the only way for a long period of time to not only bet on horse racing but to experience horse racing because it wasn't televised. Right. You know, sports betting is different. But anyway, um, let me get to the draft thing. All right, I want to I want to get to the players that I like in this draft and those I don't and I want Tommy everybody to keep in mind that this is based on me watching a lot of college basketball games I didn't go to the you know NBA camps I don't have the ability to do due diligence on whether or not these players love basketball or will work hard to get better or whether or not they're coachable or good teammates this is me watching them the last year or the last few years and giving you giving you my best guesses I'm going to start at the top of the draft I think John Morant has a better chance of being a future NBA MVP than Zion Williamson does. John Morant, I like Zion. I've heard
1: people say that. Oh, you have? I've heard okay. people say that Morant is, is just, I mean, not only is he remarkably talented, but I just hear people rave about the his off-the-court off the he, stuff, he's his a, makeup.
0: He's a star. Yeah. He's a star. Zion is, too. I like Zion a lot. I know. And I think he's going to be a very good NBA player. Maybe a great NBA player. I love John Morant. He has major star potential. Tommy, he sees the floor like the greats did in terms of his passing ability. Yes. Like Magic, like Isaiah, like Curry. You know, some say he's an inconsistent shooter. I like his stroke. And I think he's going to turn into a very good shooter off the dribble, off the catch at the next level. Uh, level. Bottom line with Morant he more than anyone else in this draft by far in my view makes everyone around him better he's a game changer in this draft i wish the wizards had gotten the number two pick in this draft and with i wouldn't have cared anything about john wall i would have taken john moran um, RJ Barrett's gonna be a good scorer at the NBA level, especially in New York early on, because they don't have much. I'd actually say that it's better than 50-50. He'll be the rookie of the year next year because he's gonna get all the opportunities in the world as a rookie and he's gonna he's gonna score. He can score. I don't love RJ Barrett, though. Nowhere near Zion Williamson and John Morant category in my book. I don't love DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. I think he's gonna be a good defender at the next level. I think he's gonna be limited offensively at the NBA level. I'm intrigued by Jarrett Culver more than Hunter, but I think he too has limitations offensively that will keep him from being a consistent star level player. I think both are gonna defend well, but I think both are gonna be turnover machines, especially early in their careers. I think both of them at times watching them the last few years, and Hunter didn't get to play in the tournament in 2018 when UVA got upset as you know as a one seed um, by UMBC. But I think both of them look awkward offensively at times. Just my my view. I think both will be good defenders. Don't love uh, don't love either one. And I would say I would like Culver more. Darius Garland can flat out shoot it and handle it like he has high level skill. He also you know, has a super slight frame and looks like he's going to have problems defensively at the next level, but he's young. You just get, didn't get a chance to see him enough because he got hurt so early in Vanderbilt's season. He's no John Morant though. He's not, but he is a guy that I could see becoming a prolific scorer at the point guard position. I like the Kentucky players in this draft, all three of them that are projected, you know, somewhere in that 10 to 20 range. I think PJ Washington will be an NBA starter for sure. I love Keldon Johnson, and I really love Tyler Hero, too. All three are confident, they're intense, they're high motor guys, all of them are versatile. Johnson to me, though, has as big an upside as any of the three, and as big an upside as most guys in the draft after Zion and John Morant. He's got a huge wingspan, his body type looks like it's NBA ready. He's relentless. Um he's not super athletic, but he can guard, he can shoot it, he can shoot it from the mid range. I think he can shoot it from behind the arc. I like Keldon Johnson a lot, and I would not be unhappy if the Wizards took him maybe ahead of where he's projected to go at number nine. I like him a lot. is one of the best uh, shooters in the draft, one of the two best shooters in the draft. Cam Johnson is the other one from North Carolina, and I think is going to have one of those long NBA careers as a 6'6 guy who can fire it from anywhere. Um, I like two of the three Carolina players projected... Uh, yeah, two of the three Carolina players projected... Uh, in the first round, um the three are Kobe White, nasir little, and cam Johnson. I like kobe white he 's six five by the way didn 't always look like he played at that height, even though he had that hair. Aaron, but he can really score as a point guard again, not john morant 's class, but he 's fearless he 's competitive, he got so much better as the season went on. He sort of came out of nowhere last year for Carolina. Um, he's a guy who, I think can start on the NBA uh, in the NBA on the right team and will score in the NBA. I really like cam Johnson. I, i'm I'm not sure why he's being projected to go post lottery, Aaron. He's I, I don't see him anywhere in most mocks, he's not a lottery pick. In fact, in some mocks, he's late first round. I know that defensively people have concerns about him. But he's the best shooter. He and Tyler Hero are the two best shooters in the draft. And Cam Johnson's actually got a quicker release. And he's six foot nine. And he moves so well, well, and he really has great feel for the game. High IQ player. I think Cam Johnson's gonna be a really good NBA player. I'm surprised that some of the players, whether it's, you know, a guy like um uh, Romeo Langford as, as an example, I would take Cam Johnson every day of the week and twice on Sunday before I took Romeo Langford. I think, I just think Cam Johnson's going to be a better player. Nasir Little, I do not like, I, I don't like him, not a fan of him, nor was Roy Williams, by the way, because that guy this time last year was projected to be a top three pick. And there were games in which he barely played at Carolina, Roy Williams got frustrated with him. He looks the part. He's athletic. He's long. He looks like he should be an NBA you know, player. But when you watched him play, you saw a guy that wasn't a good basketball player. Like, he doesn't have great feel for the game. I went back and watched a lot of highlights, and these are highlights. And you can see early when he puts the ball on the floor, he's got his head down. You know, He's not a natural basketball player. I just don't like Nasir Little. I'll be very disappointed if the Wizards pick him at number 9 and some have him projected to go to the Wizards at number 9. He will light up all-star games like the McDonald's, you know, All-American game which he did last year, but 5-on-5 structured team basketball, I think it's going to be a long road for him. That's my my view on him. Cam Reddish is another interesting guy because he can flat out play he can handle it, he can shoot it he 's six eight and a half, six, nine. I saw him play in high school tommy against my my son 's high school team. And he and he he looked really good. The next day, they played a team in which he scored 57. I think it was. Wow. He had 34 and lost against Georgetown Prep. When I saw him last uh, in 2018 in the Dematha Showcase, or it was 2017 now because it was in December. But um, you could tell that why he at that moment when I was watching him play in high school, he was a projected top three pick. And I think he's got the talent to be a top three pick. Like I think he's got just as much talent as RJ Barrett. So why? Do a lot of people now have him outside the top ten? There's a lot of discussion that he's not, uh, you know, a, a great worker; that he takes nights off and moments off, and that he doesn't have a big time motor. You know, if he obviously had all of that stuff in a positive sense, he'd be a, a top three or four pick. Um, but something ain't right there with Cam Reddish. Uh, unless somebody just rolls the dice and takes him. But there, there, there's something that's not right, even though when you watch him, you see why he could be a steal at number nine or at 12 if he were to drop, you know, even that outside the a, lottery. That would be a pretty big drop, though. That would be a big drop, yes. I think it's Seven and a half is the line right now. Is that what it is with him? Yeah. Um, but this time last year, it was top three, top four. Uh, I don't see it with Jackson Hayes, the center from Texas, at all. I, I don't get the fascination with him. He doesn't fit into today's NBA at all. He's a back to the basket player. That doesn't mean that there isn't a place for him, um, but he's super raw. You know, he's got some skill. I do not want the Wizards to take Jackson Hayes at number nine. Now we get to the French kid who's 18, Sekou Doumboya. I think you pronounce it. I, I'm probably getting that wrong. He's 18 years old and he played in France. He's been mocked to the Wizards at number nine more than anybody else over the last few weeks. I've watched all of the available video. You can clearly see he has all of the physical measurables for an NBA player. You can also see that he's still trying to figure out the game, as you would be at 18 years old playing against professionals, even in Europe. Um, I just think it's so hard on, on guys like this that you don't, actually get to see play in games. You know, he's got the huge wingspan. He looks at 6-9 with the huge wingspan to be a modern-day 4 in the NBA somebody like Pascal Siakam in Toronto, but I just don't know enough about him to really have what I would think to be worthy judgment, but a lot of people like him a lot. Um I feel by the way, I feel the same way about Garland and I feel the same way about Bull from Oregon. That we just didn't see enough of them, or I haven't seen enough of them. Um, Bull Bull, by the way, people think that he's got top five potential, and some see him as a future NBA star. I don't see it in, in the video. He's 7'3, Tommy, with a 9 foot 7-inch standing reach. Yeah, I know. You know, I mean, he's sitting there five inches below the rim when he stands with his arms extended you can see by the way which is odd that he actually has a good stroke and can shoot it but you know a seven three guy that's shooting threes the body type is not rudy gobert at seven three um it's skinny and you know i guess he's got some fluidity to him for a seven three guy i wouldn't trust it personally And again didn't see him enough because of the injury um, all right. So that 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 gives you a sense of all the players that are sort of projected in that top 10 range. Here are other players I really like, and I would be fine if the Wizards took even, well, in one particular case at nine, I would be fine with it. I really like Brandon Clark from Gonzaga. I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. He has the best motor, relentless competitiveness of anybody in this draft, not named Zion, because Zion is he has all that. I love him. He's maybe the best athlete in the draft. I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. And if the Wizards took him at nine, which would be ahead of where most people project him, I would think that that would show some vision. He's ready, by the way, to play now. He is a performer, he's a producer, he's going to be active as a defender, great defender, ready to defend right now, rebound, block shots, you know, everything about him defensively people love, I love the way he goes to the rim, he attacks it, he dunks on people, and I think his shot is good enough to get, you know, the stroke is good enough that it will improve and he'll become a better outside shooter. I love Brandon Clark from Gonzaga um later in the draft i really like grant williams i've talked about him all year long when we talked college basketball from tennessee to me and i know that he's projected late first and some have him into the second round i think the wizards if he's there in the second round should buy into the second round and pick him he is going to have a long nba career he's big tommy 6'8", 6'9, 240 pounds already and he looks thick super high iq basketball wise he was one of the reasons tennessee you know had had this shot to go deep in the tournament was ranked super high all year he's not the super athlete you know he's not the big time jumper leaper and that's why some people are questioning what he's going to be as an nba player to me he just knows how to play and i think that there is absolutely a spot for grant williams to be a producer at the nba level for a long period of time I like Ty Jerome from Virginia, the, you know, the point guard from Virginia. And by the way, I think he can play either guard position. Um, he's also super high Q, loves the game, competes, knows how to play. He's got to get with the right team. He's got a lot of Gravis Vasquez in him. Ty Jerome's game is so comparable to Vasquez coming out of college. And plays like Vasquez with the feels and you know around the rim and the floaters, and can shoot it from range, can shoot it from mid range, can drive it, seize the floor. Great passer, competitive, um, you know, as much as he can be defensively. But he's going to be a liability defensively because he's not able to move his feet quickly enough defensively. If he gets the right team, you know, Vasquez had the right team in Toronto to be a long-term backup, solid, you know, two guard or point guard backup, but he got hurt and he's been injured. Um, But I like Ty Jerome, Uh, not at at number nine. I'm not saying that, but I think he's going to be a good player. I like Kevin Porter Jr. from USC. I think he could be a star. I like Isaiah Roby from Nebraska, Aaron. Remember him? Mm -hmm. The guy that looks like an NBA player. You know, he's projected, you know, early second round, but wouldn't shock me if somebody took him earlier um, I like Amir Coffee from Minnesota for the same reason. Um, n- actually, a little bit different than Roby. Roby's more can play more on the perimeter. Coffee is a s- smaller post type player. I like him a lot. Yeah.
1: Can I? When can I talk?
0: I'm almost done. I'm actually literally one paragraph away from being done of notes. Okay. Will you wait? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> you look disturbed. No. Go ahead. Okay. I like Kevin Porter Jr. from Southern Cal. I like Isaiah. I like Shamori Pons from St. John's. I think he's going to score at the NBA level. Here are the players I don't like. All right. Romeo Langford, no. Nasir Little, no. I'm not a big Hachimura fan from Gonzaga. I, I know a lot of people are. I don't see a guy that that brings it every single game, and I think he at times can be awkward. He is athletic, though. I don't think Carson Edwards, with the tournament run he had – um, I don't see him as being a great NBA player. He's going to get picked, Aaron, I think, in the second round. Um, but I, I I wouldn't pick Carson Edwards, even though he is a stone-cold scorer. I don't think the release is quick enough. I, I don't think he's strong enough. And Bruno Fernando, I would be concerned about Bruno, Bruno Fernando. I wouldn't want the Wizards to take him You know, early second round. He needs to be more consistently aggressive on both ends. He needs to see the floor better. You know, he's not going to see the double teams in the pros like he did in college. I think he can shoot it better than than Turgeon ever let him shoot it. And I think he's got an underrated stroke. Um, but I, I'd steer clear of Bruno Fernando. I, I hate saying that because I loved him. Um, but I, I don't see it really at the next level as a, as a big-time player. I do like Nikhil Al- Alexander-Walker from Virginia Tech. He can play, has to be a better ball handler. But recapping as far as the Wizards go... No on Nasir Little, no on Romeo Lankford, uh, no on Hachimura, the guys that could could be there at 9 that, that might mm. be projected there. Yes on the three Kentucky kids and Brandon Clark. That That's what I would be thinking about. All right, now, Tommy, go ahead.
1: Okay, everybody, that was the war and peace version yeah. of what's going to happen. Well, I put
0: a lot of preparation. You know, I, that, 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 that's good. Just, preparation.
1: just because you spend a lot of time on something doesn't mean it's very good, you know? That doesn't. That, that's no measure. You didn't think that was very good? No, I, th- I
0: thought it was good. No, actually. you didn't. Yes, you, I, it, did. it bored you.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, but I
0: understand that. I understand, but that, I'm gonna that give the, I understand that wasn't for everybody, that was that it was for a select few. No, but I enjoyed it. So go ahead.
1: I'm going to give the Cliff Notes version of what's going to happen Thursday night with the Wizards. Okay. They're, they're going to trade the ninth pick and trade back in the draft and get more picks. Ironically, with Ernie gone, now they want number two picks in the draft. Ernie hated them. Traded them all the time.
0: They well, want, sold them.
1: Yeah, sold them. They want a number two. They need players. That's true. So don't be surprised if they trade back the number nine pick uh, to get more picks, to get a second-round pick. And don't be surprised if the guy they pick is the guy you don't like from Gonzaga, Hachimura. I've heard they really like him. Okay. And they think he'll be available uh, later in the first round.
0: I like Brandon Clark from Gonzaga a lot more, and I it, I don't dislike Hachimura. I just don't see him as a star. You know, I don't see him worthy of the number nine. From pick.
1: what I've i heard, they think he's a very high character guy, and right now they're a little bit hung up on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, but your your was that your Cliff's Notes version? That's it. That was well done. Um, <laughs> but it didn't take much preparation, did it? No, it didn't.
1: Um, the
0: uh the point about you know no more trading first of all they, they don't have a second round pick to sell no, they this don't. year um ben standing made the point yesterday that they're, they'll probably buy into the second round somehow you know somebody looking to sell the second because yeah. they need players they only have five yeah, players contract right. this is why i think yeah. they're
1: going to trade back they're going to trade their ninth pick and wind up with more picks all right <sighs> that's it you want to take a break are you Uh, tired yeah
0: we need to take a break i need to tell you about window nation here for a moment um i have you know asked you to consider window nation for years and it's summer now and they've got a really good deal going on and if you are even thinking remotely about buying new windows for a room or for your house please give window nation a shot They'll come out, they'll give you a free in-home quote with a salesman that's been there forever that's going to take good care of you because you mentioned the show. This is what they do. They come out, they'll tell you which rooms need windows, which rooms don't. They'll give you a free price quote. You'll have it for 30 days to make a decision on it. If you don't want them, that's fine. If you want them, you move forward with Window Donation, where then they'll send out an installer that's got over 16 years of experience. I've trusted Window Nation to come into my home twice over the last decade. Many of our listeners have done the same, and it's always worked out for everybody involved. They've installed, this year alone, 150,000 windows. 99.5% of them required no follow up service. They've got lifetime warranties uh, and they've got over 10,000 online positive reviews. That's a lot, by the way, for a service company. Uh, I wouldn't be uh, endorsing Window Nation if I didn't have complete trust in them. They've got the experience, they've got the credibility. Um, I've got personal experience with Window Nation. Their offer right now is simple buy one window, get one free with no limit. So you can buy 10, get 10 free. No limit to that. Plus zero 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 is what they're promising. No down payment, zero down payment, zero interest, and zero payments for twelve full months. Call them at 86690 Nation. That's 86690 Nation or go to windowNation.com and mention that you heard it here on the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. So I somebody sent this to me. It was a redskins.com story about Rob Ryan. And I read it late last night, um, and it was written by somebody at Redskins.com, Jake Kring Schreifels.
1: So this is from the team.
0: This is from the team. Okay. A story written on the team's website right. about Rob Ryan. But it was actually a, a really interesting story. You know, he's had an interesting football life, as all of the Ryans have, going yes. back to their father. You know, he has had quite the football coaching trip over the last 32 years. He's been a coach for 32 years, except for the two – previous to this one because he, right, he, he, he was out of football but he worked for five college teams eight NFL teams um and by the way if you're looking for a sign that it might work out this is the first job that has not been for him defensive coordinator since he was the linebackers coach for the Patriots in the early 2000s that was the last time he was a position coach and he was there for two of their first he, their first two Super Bowl wins
1: wow Buy your tickets, people. <laughs> Get your
0: tickets now, Get people. Get your tickets. But um, anyway, you know, he, he's actually going to be fun. You're going to want oh, to talk yeah. to him. Yeah. Uh, he's entertaining, and he's aggressive, like, in the way he he talks and he thinks. But anyway, there were two quotes from the story that I wanted to read to you for different reasons. The first one was this, because he was talking about... Games that he thought were awful games for him as a coordinator. And he said the worst game he ever coached as a defensive coordinator, it came against Jay Gruden and the Redskins. Here's the quote. Quote, the worst game I've ever coached was against the Redskins in 2015. Jay Gruden pounded us that game. Kirk was red hot. And Jay did a great job, obviously, scheming us up to death. Closed quote. Um, I read this, of course, because I wanted to work Kirk's name into the conversation. (laughs) No, but seriously, I bring it up because we've had this conversation a couple of times over the last few months where you've asked me to list things that make me optimistic. Just a couple of positive things about the team and the franchise. And I've given you the same answer every single time. And the answer is they've got really good young defensive talent. They do. I mean... Whether they stumbled into it via the draft or not, they've got young defensive talent on this football team, and that makes me encouraged about the defense. But the thing that I've left out, and this just reminded me of this, is that while I believe Jay Gruden's an average coach, all right, I do, I, he's, not, he's not good, he's not awful, somewhere in the middle in this league, I've always been impressed with him and his ability to scheme up an offense, a pass offense in particular. You know, many people around the league feel that. You know, Andy Benoit, remember from SI. Oh, I
1: know. He he worships him.
0: Wrote the story a few years ago where he basically said that Jay's passing schemes are respected around the league, and he's thought to be a really creative pass offense schemer and designer. So I, I was thinking about this, and I was like, you know what? That is a positive on this team. Jay Gruden's ability to scheme it up offensively is a positive for the team i don't i don't think he's a good head coach i would have replaced him when when last season ended but if he's here his strength is a pass offense if you think about the 2015 2016 and early in the 2017 seasons in particular before the injuries really started to mount up in 2017 the redskins weren't just pretty good offensively at times they were very good offensively you know they were top three to five in most offensive categories in 2016 and as a pass offense you know in 2015 and 2017 in a lot of those categories even with the injuries in 2017 they were top five to top 10 in most of those I know but I'm betting pass categories. when
1: they've always <clears throat> been at their best is when Chris Thompson and uh, Jordan Reed were available. Well,
0: I, I, look, there's no doubt that when they've been healthy with Deshaun Jackson, with Pierre Garçon, with Jordan Reed, with Chris Thompson, with a quarterback that fits what Jay likes to do, they ha- it, the, he's schemed up a pretty dynamic offense. You know, yeah. they had their issues in the red zone in, in 2016. But let's be honest, they were not a good offensive team last year. No. They were bottom 8 to 10 teams offensively in most offensive statistical categories. Alex Smith was not a good fit for Gruden. He just wasn't. Andy Benoit, by the way, who was on with me right before the draft or after the draft, and I forget, you know, reminded me that he had written a story before the 2018 season saying, this is an awful fit. Alex Smith and Jay Gruden. He was right. Yeah. It was not a good fit. I mean, you can use the injuries as a legitimate excuse for the Redskins season going from five and two, you know, down the tubes, but they were never good offensively last year. Gruden's got to have health, you know, weapons, you know, Jordan Reed's got to be healthy. One of these receivers has to emerge. To your point, Chris Thompson's got to be good. And he's got to have a quarterback, whether it's Keenum or Haskins, that fits these effective passing schemes that he has. And if he can find that and they're healthy, you know, they have a guy that can scheme up some offense.
1: Okay, let me ask you this. I've heard this before about Gruden. I've tried to quantify it, and I haven't been able to. One of the criticisms of Andy Reid, who's very similar to Jay Gruden in, in a lot of ways. Different offensive. I know.
0: You know, the the way they go about offense right. are different.
1: but. The complaint about Andy Reid is once he gets off the 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 opening script, he's not that good of a play caller.
0: The Norv Turner criticism,
1: and I've heard that about Jay Gruden too. Once you get past the fifteen plays that they that they script to open open the uh, game, not that good at play calling.
0: Tommy, when they were healthy with a quarterback that fit his system, I won't even name him. <laughs> they had more than just great offense for 15 plays. The, you know the, the game that, that Rob Ryan was referring to, was when New Orleans came in here, Drew Brees and company, and the Redskins beat them 47 to 14 and put up 510 yards of offense. And by the way, they did that, you know, not 47 to 14, but they put up 40 plus against a number of teams and 30 plus against a number of teams and 425, 450 plus yards against a number of teams when he had the right fit at quarterback and he had weapons that were healthy. And an offensive line that was healthy, I bring it up because I think sometimes I forget that if they're healthy offensively and he's got the right quarterback fit, you know, you can't discount the possibility that they're better than we think offensively in 2019. That that possibility exists because Jay Gruden can design a pass offense. He can. It's his strength. He's not a great head coach. He's terrible at clock management and game management and a lot of other things. And he runs, you know, a very loose, you know, ship that, that I think has bit him in the backside a few times over the last few years. But I'm just throwing something else out there that I thought of after reading that quote that could be a positive.
1: Yeah. Again, I think he's a very good offensive coordinator, <clears throat> except he's the head coach. Yes. And right now, I think this is the weakest weapons team that the Redskins have had offensively in years. That is
0: true when it comes to passing the ball. But remember, the prolific pass offense that they had in 2016 and at times in 2015 and 2017 had no real consistent running game. And that's something that he may have this year. That's could, true. He could. Potentially. Potentially. Um, the other Rob Ryan quote went like this, uh, and it came at the very end. He said, quote, I think our defense is going to do great. And I'm not scared to tell anybody because I, be- because I believe it. I know we've got the players to do great things and I know we've got the coaches too. I know it's going to be awesome. Closed quote. This, you know, goes hand in hand with his top five right. thing. Um, from a few weeks ago, I do think they have good players. We're going to find out about the coaches. They tried to replace their defensive yeah. coordinator. Yeah, they did. And it, it just reminded me, Tommy, that if they had hired Todd Bowles or Greg Williams, my whole view of this team going into next year would be different. Really? If Greg Williams or Todd Bowles were the defensive coordinators, one of the two was, was the D.C. of this team going into 2019, I would be so much more optimistic about the defense. I'm already optimistic about the players, but I think they've got to be schemed up well. And, you know, You also have to have a true pass rusher, and maybe Montez Sweat is that. But I think if Todd Bowles or Greg Williams had decided to come, I wouldn't have predicted playoffs. I'm not saying that. But I would have thought that a top-tier defensive mind with this young, talented defensive core would have been really interesting to watch.
1: Which one of those two guys is going to be the Redskins' head coach next year?
0: Who, Bowles or Williams? Yeah.
1: I don't know that either one of them wants to work for, for Dan or Bruce. To be the head coach,
0: I would have hired Greg Williams or Todd Bowles to be the head coach this year. Right now, but, people but would they have...
1: weren't looking for a head coach this year. Right.
0: Uh, look, if. 2019 ends up being what I think it is going to be, which is another non-playoff season and maybe a double-digit loss season, which I think it will be. That, that's going to be my. Pred- I, it's hard. I find it very difficult for me to think that we'll get to shortly before the season, and my prediction is going to be nine and seven, as it was last year. I think my prediction is going to be six and ten, somewhere around there. Um, but you know, with at that point, all hell breaking loose, more yeah. likely than not, I take Greg Williams. I'd roll the dice on somebody like him. It
1: wouldn't surprise me if Snyder does.
0: I think he should have done it this year.
1: There'd be, there'd be <clears> some <throat> kind of symmetry, symmetry in that for him.
0: Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Rob Ryan. Rob Ryan will be... He's going to be entertaining.
1: He'll be, he'll be the star of training camp.
0: Did you see the story yesterday that Matt Stafford played last season with a broken back? How do you play in the NFL? I'm like
1: Mike Tyson. I broke my back. <laughs> I broke my
0: back. I mean i'm a matt stafford fan i've always been a matt stafford fan and he did not have a great year and then you you read yesterday that he played this season with a broken back um that's one of those teams i'm always wrong about always wrong about the lions i always think the lions have a chance to be a good team and they just never they never seem to get it done but um that's uh that's pretty impressive Playing uh, with a broken back for I think he played all 16 games last year anyway what else did you have for me
1: I got nothing else for you I, I've, I've told you everything I know right. that's it for me
0: let's get to Van Pelt after I tell you real quickly um, about stamps.com If you're a small business, you need Stamps.com. It's one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all of the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com handles it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24 hours a day, seven days a week for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. And once your mail's ready, you just hand it to the mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. Now, with Stamps.com, you save. You you get five cents off every first-class stamp and 40% off priority mail. It's a no-brainer. It saves you time, saves you money. No wonder 700,000 small businesses are already using stamps.com now my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment just go to stamps.com right now click on the microphone at the top of the home page and type in my code kevin dc that's k-e-v-i-n d-c that's stamps.com enter kevin dc All right, let's bring in Scott Van Pelt, uh, talk some U.S. Open, NBA draft, and NBA finals, because I haven't talked to you since our uh, show last Thursday, um, uh, right before Toronto put away Golden State in a game where Klay Thompson blew out his ACL late in the third quarter. Um, What did you think overall of the NBA playoffs and of Toronto's run?
2: Well, I mean, Toronto was better throughout the finals. When when we spoke last Thursday, you and we both said we thought it would end that night, and it did. Um, and when it when it did with Clay going down, it, it almost seemed like it was better for Golden State. Like, what would they have done? Who who? What would they have played with for Game Seven on the road? Um, I, I just they they were they were done, and um, and Toronto was just felt like the better team throughout. It's a shame that Clay won't hurt. Obviously, it's not just that he went down for the game, but it impacts so much beyond that. Much like Durant's injury. Uh, that's the the biggest memory of the finals is going to be that two stars got hurt, which impacts what happens moving forward because I presume that this is the only year Kawhi is going to play for Toronto, and you're going to have to remind yourself years from now, like, oh, remember Kawhi played for Toronto? Oh, yeah, right there, and they won the title. Yeah, that was crazy. But um, it was crazy. And I actually am doing something tonight for uh, for the show on SportsCenter about the makeup of that team, and it's amazing. Like, the, their rotation, Kevin, Toronto's rotation of uh, the eight guys they used, three second rounders, one undrafted player, and one player right. drafted in the top twenty. Also, zero lottery players because Kawhi went fifteen. That's their team.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's amazing. Um, obviously, Kawhi was under drafted, but still, it was the first Clearly. team I think since 1966 to win a title without a top 14 um, pick. Um, I what is your thought on the interest level in everything that isn't the games that we just finished watching? The incredible interest level in, you know, what Golden State's going to do, what Kevin Durant's going to do, what Kawhi Leonard's going to do, the Pelicans-Lakers trade. It just seems that that sport maybe more than any other, that what happens off the court is as interesting, if not more interesting to more people than the games themselves.
2: It seems that way, but I don't know how to quantify it. Like it, it, Using social media as, as your barometer for that is such a mistake because it's it, it's it's such a poor reflection of the world at large. Um, it's, it's it's the media cocktail party, right? We're all on Twitter and everyone's talking. And and there is so much talk in media, Twitter, and all the oohs and ahs and pointers and lightning posts that are salacious and all this and, but like I don't
1: know,
2: what, I don't know how much that reflects the world's interest in it. Um, so I, I, it seems that way to me. And certainly, there's never-ending content as it relates to the to that league more than any other because the players are willing to participate in it. But again, I just don't know how much that reflects beyond the the, the relatively small space of of social media um, and Twitter.
0: Well, I would say it's more than social media. I mean, I'm I'm on ESPN.com and CBS and I watch a lot of yeah, you true. know, programming. Um, you know, especially during the playoffs, and and I, it, you know, obviously I can't quantify it. I can only guess based on you know my my personal experience, and that is that 50% of the conversation during the NBA playoffs was what would happen after the season, not the actual okay. games that, that were that, being that, played.
2: That, 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 that. I agree. That's entirely fair. I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is, like, it, it, it's, I don't know how, like, a, a television, uh, a, a game on television, you can say, well, the rating was this. Well, Like, how much, what's the tonnage of conversation about where's Durant going to go? Like, how do we measure all that? I, I agree. It, it is on all the other websites. And it is, and it is. it's never-ending content. Like, I, I, I totally agree with that. I just think it's, um... And you're right, there, it's more than any of the leagues. So I, should, I just leave it at that. It, it For sure, that's true. I just always wonder, well, how much of this is us just kind of talking to ourselves? I, I, don't, I never know.
1: You know what I think kind of drives this, kind of explains what's going on, is that... What? Uh, you know, I mean, in, in other sports, in the NBA more than any other sport, the players are deciding where they want to play. And this is a relatively new phenomenon uh, started by LeBron. Uh, for years, the owners decided where, you know, what players were going to play where. Now that's not very interesting or exciting for fans. So that would leave them pretty much with the product on the court. The fact that the guys whose jerseys they buy run the league now and make the decisions as to where they want to play creates more at, creates more interest among fans, because the, these are the guys they love. These are the guys that they follow. You know, they didn't care. I mean, they, they cared if their team made trades or signed free agents because of the basketball product. But now with the players being the decision makers in this for all intents and purposes, that's what's generated, I think, all the interest in the off-the-court stuff. Because these are the, these are the guys whose jerseys they buy
2: yeah it's that's an interesting point, and I agree because everybody's pro player. I do wonder at some point is will there ever be any pushback from fans because everyone's like, oh, it's great that the players have the power or oh, right, it is, but at, like the Anthony Davis thing to me really bothered me because he had it's not like he was a free agent this summer. he's a free agent next summer, and he just decided well I can't be bothered to do this anymore and he got his way and i think there are people that are that think that's great i, I happen to think it's not great like i got a deal like I, I, look and let, let me be real clear in case anyone's going to not be able to understand that i'm not drawing a parallel to, to from me to anton davis because i'm not i work in a contract business and if i was if my deal was up next summer and I just told ESPN, hey, look, I'm not going to be able to stay in Connecticut anymore. Winters are too tough. 2020, like, I'm gone. <laughs> so I'd really, you know, make, make a move for me here because that's what I got to do. And I make my environment so untenable that they have to move me. Well, I don't know who's on my side in that. And, and again, I'm not Anthony Davis. But at some point, you got a contract, you got a deal, you're paid 20 something million dollars. I, I can't feel bad for you that New Orleans just isn't better. There have been good players on bad teams for the entirety of sports and always will be. And I wonder at what point the power of the player is such that guys are three, have three years left on the deal. Like, nah, I don't like it. I want to go. And, and, and are the fans out there still going to go, oh, this is great? No, it's not. It's not great. You signed a deal. You signed it. And at some point you have to honor it.
1: You know, I think stability and loyalty – are not valued as much by the younger generation of fans who who change jobs quickly and change jobs more, move around more than we ever did, I think. That's just a guess, that's just yeah, a yeah, hunch.
2: I just I think they like I think they like that power aspect being on the player's side and, and and that's fine, but I just think there has to be some level of accountability to what you agree to do. And if there's none, then what are we even doing? I think that yeah.
0: I think the the situation that you're describing um, is less unique than you think we've had contract holdouts and trade demands with players you know holding multiple years left on a contract that they signed many times in the past. I think this particular situation was off putting it was to me too by the way i f- I felt the same way in part because it was it also felt simultaneously that it, that it was being orchestrated by the l a Lakers and LeBron James. And that added something to all of it, and it's like, oh, LeBron's, you know, went to LA, and the team's not doing well, so they've got to get a guy like Anthony Davis, so LeBron can be back in the NBA Finals. I think that that part, uh, that context to it, made it feel different and made it a little bit more unseemly. It didn't to everybody. I know a lot of people that loved it, and they're like, well, Anthony Davis, he, why should he stay in New Orleans? He should have it. I feel the same way you do, but I, we've seen players hold out with signed contracts and demand trades. We got Sure. going on right now in dc with trent williams he's still got two years left on his deal and you know reports are we don't know for sure is that he may want to want to get out i i think the lebron laker thing has influences the, our reaction to it
2: I, and that that's that's true because it's not just him it's his agent rich Paul, and it's clutch right. sports and it's the idea that an agent and a player could could you know have this much power um to, to, to hold a franchise hostage, and that's what happened with New Orleans. Like, what New Orleans dealt with was insanity. And the NBA's like, look, you got to play him some. So they're doing this that nonsense where he was playing for, you know, he would play 20 minutes and they'd sit. I don't know. The whole thing, like, I mean, but you know what? In the end, they got what they wanted. Uh, he got traded to L.A. And, you know, Griffin, the new GM, comes in, he gets a bunch of players, and they're going to get the fourth pick on top of it, which, leads to that idiotic thing where the guy who gets fourth picks fourth has to take pictures in an LA hat because the deal can't get consummated until after the day.
0: We, Are you serious? Because it, the deal can't be the deal can't be finalized until the league calendar starts on June thirtieth or July first. So we're going to see the dude walk out in a Lakers cap tonight. <laughs> Seriously, that's the dumbest thing ever.
2: Yeah, I'm almost po- I'm, I'm almost positive that's what happens. Oh but my god, the, the pick doesn't belong to New Orleans. Wh- why, why? Why? Why does the NBA stupid. do
0: that? That's so dumb. Because you know, not everybody's paying full attention to what's going on. Somebody's going to walk away well, from tonight saying DeAndre Hunter's playing for the Lakers.
2: Well, what? we we can't help dumb people. We, uh, you, you can't fix stupid, and there's a lot of that. So you, you and know, I, you just you gotta let. You got to let those people figure it out on their
0: own time. You and I both love college basketball, and I bored Tommy for um, Uh. a a lengthy period of time doing my Uh. NBA draft preview today. I, I actually should have done it yesterday when he wasn't here because he was giving me looks throughout and groaning, like, you know, enough of this already. But you and I love college basketball, and we watch a lot of it. Who do you like? Give me a couple players that you feel confident about and a couple that you, you know, you'd never take.
2: Um, I mean, I, 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 like, the the draft, this one's really interesting to me. And I also just, this thing I've done for the show tonight, like, go back and look at recent top tens and look at how many guys there are that just aren't yeah, guys. Right? Like, there's the top ten. I'm not talking about first-rounders. Uh, you know, like, the top ten in the draft, and it's littered with guys that are just not, Top ten players, um, or that or have don't have impacts to speak of. So uh, after, you know, after Zion, after, and I mean, like John Morant, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's got a lot of Westbrook in him. I think he plays like a like an absolute uh, killer. I love that. I love um, him. Love him. I, I don't know, like Barrett. I don't know. Like he was really good. He had big numbers, but. Can he go right? I mean, I don't know. Like, there's. I don't know how many really great players there are going to be. I'll tell you a guy I like a lot and have liked him all year, and Mike Schmitz, who, who is so good covering uh, prospects on ESPN, mentioned him to media tonight, is a guy uh, that he likes that I like too that's going to go later is Kit Ty Jerome from Virginia. Yep. I think he can do it. Yeah, I think that guy knows how to play. I think he understands how to play pick and roll. I think he's got uh, – Competitive fire to him that I love. Like I think that guy can play in the league. Schmidt said he's going to start more than he than anybody has any idea. Like this guy's going to be an NBA starter. And I thought, wow, that that made me feel like I was right about him. um But like, I I so much of this Kevin is projecting that I I don't like. Is Jared Culver really good? The guy from Texas Tech. Maybe I don't know. I, I really don't know. I feel like that's how I feel about this draft. Is a giant shrug, collective shrug. Darius Garland, this kid out of Vanderbilt. People love him. He got hurt. He played six games at Vandy. I have no idea what he is. Right. None.
0: Yeah, I, I, I I'm with you on on everything. By the way, just real quickly on on Ty Jerome, he just reminds me so much of Gravis. Like his whole style of. I said that all year. Of... I'm sorry.
2: I said it all year. Tall. He plays with attitude, isn't fast, doesn't look like he's like nothing about him looks like 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 you have to really worry so much about him, and then it's, at the end of the night he's got you know twenty someone you know, or he yeah. had a key assist or took a big shot. I totally agree with that comp and it's because he's tall that he can get a shot off over smaller guys. right,
0: so i think the I think the right team you know it, it, for him is is because I think' because sure. I think Gravis actually was a good n b a backup point guard in toronto before the injuries started I, I i you know he couldn't defend really um but he was a good offensive nope. player um in the league um yep. exactly yeah i mean it's there. There, you're you i feel the same way about jared culver i think jared culver and, and deandre hunter are the same same i i just don't i don't really see it and i'm not really sure but I, but i'm not sure about rj barrett you said that too i i agree with that I, I do like morant to me morant looks like a star um but again, what do we know? Like to your point, the NBA draft is such a crapshoot. And even if you've got a top 10 guy, more likely than not, he's not going to be a big impact player. More likely than not.
2: Nope. Uh,
0: tell me about, um, Gary Woodland and why this was such a popular
2: U S open win. He's just awesome. He's just such a good dude. Uh, and it's, and it's just that simple. Like there's, there's a lot of good guys on tour. Uh, A lot of, fun guys decent guys people that are you're happy to cross paths with but woodland's just he's so well liked by guys on tour um he's he i I think part of it's they all know that he's a badass like he was a, he was a ball player I mean he was a scholarship basketball player who who you know he told the story himself they played he played at Wabash like d2 and they played KU and yeah. he said I'd start Kirk Heinrich and it was all right well I'm not good enough to do this i better figure something else out. And he's worked really hard at it. And I think guys respect the fact that he came out and was a bomber. Like, he was one of the top ten guys, just an absolute bat off the tee. And, but that was kind of it. And so he knew he had to work to become more proficient in other areas. And so he worked with this guy named Pete Cowan, who's a, a European teacher, who's really well regarded with short game. And he And Pete worked to make him much better there. And, like, this was coming. This was the trend for him. He's the top 25 player in the world when he got to Pebble. Um, and people thought he could do something like this. But the fact that he was able to do it, hit the kind of shots he hit, hold off Koepka. um, the personal stuff, he and his wife have lost uh, a number of, of children uh, in, during pregnancy, which was just gutting. And, actually, now that the story's out, he we were at a, a function at the Masters on Monday, and we always sit together and watch the uh, – the finals at this, the NCAA final at this house. And we're talking about his kid, his his boy. And I was asking how that was. And he explained to me what had happened and that they'd lost another child. And I was just crushed for him. And then he just smiled and goes, yeah, and then we got pregnant with twins. I was like, get out of here. He said, yeah, twin girls, and they're coming this summer. And I was just so ecstatic for him because I knew, you know, as a human being, what he'd been through and all of his, all the peer group knows as well. They've been through a lot and his wife is awesome. And so it's like, they're, they're just, I, it's as simple as that, Kevin. Like, he's just one of those guys that right. everyone likes, everyone respects. And then, you know, he didn't just come out and win A major. He went out and won at Teppel, holding off Kepka, hitting a couple of shots that, you know, that chip on, set, uh, on pitch shot, rather than 17 from off the green is the one that, like, you got to get up and down, and he did. And then he birdies and finishes in style. It's just, it was, the, it was a, a perfect way to become uh, a major champion because it's not like just Oh yeah, where was it? Like, was it at Quail Hollow or was it at Oakland Hill No, no, no. Was it Pebble Beach? Man, like that's that's the one you never forget.
0: Uh, did you think early on? Because we haven't talked about this since it happened. But did you think the way Kepka started on Sunday that he was going
2: to win? Yeah, for sure. Um, just because it, it's it's not, and this wouldn't have been just on Woodland. It would have been on anybody. Like, go back through the years at majors and look. It's it's. The, the drafting effect, right? That whatever that, that the NASCAR, NASCAR term, right? It's yeah. you'd much rather not be in second, and you'd you'd much rather just try to try to clip the guy at the end. Now carrying from Friday is hard. It's just the weight of the of the expectation and the and the pressure having not done it, and then Keppard comes out and he's throwing paymakers. But that is the easy part of the course. You know, you're going to reach a point where, where making birdies is going to become less, you know, uh, less routine. And, you know, I wonder if he made that birdie on 18, what would have happened, you know, because now now you really have to think about it. But with a two-shot lead and and a three-shot hole, like, he could hit two irons and hit the green and he's not going to lose. But Kepka didn't make it, so uh i mean how about his year while we're at it second first second i mean good god that guy's a a problem out there
0: it's amazing i mean what a run kepka's had but when he missed the the birdie putt on 18 and woodland was chipping on the green on 17 and put it you know within a foot uh that's when it basically ended real quickly just um finishing up on the open um what did you make of tiger woods's final round
2: In what, what sense?
0: I thought early on it looked like, like Tiger had thrown in the towel on the day. And then all of a sudden, uh-huh. out of nowhere, he birdies six out of the final 11 or 12 holes, whatever it was. I, I thought that that was encouraging. I, he didn't look right early on. And I thought that he. Yeah. In fact, I started to wonder are we going to see one of those, you know. He 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 bows out because of of a potential injury or something. He looked that bad early.
2: Well, I think that the I think that's a real thing. Like, I mean, look, you, you you as you've described, you've dealt with that back issue, not to the point that you had to have your back fused. But I mean, I think that that page was cooler than than it would typically be uh, at, on Long Island. It was cloudy. It was overcast. It was never hot. Pebble's Pebble. When You get that Marine layer and it's in the 50s and you're wearing sweaters. Valley Bunyan in Ireland next month figures to be more of the same. I think when you're playing cold weather majors, it's going to be or any cold weather event for him. And cold's a relative term, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for him. I mean, his, his back is, is it needs to be loose and limber. And, uh, you know, Augusta was warm enough mm-hmm. that he was able to kind of get get to that comfortable place, I guess. Now, whether that's All it was, I don't know, but I mean, it's it's something that you got to consider with him. If you know, if it's fifty-five or fifty-eight, and it's you know damp and chilly, it's just not gonna not gonna suit him physically.
0: Tommy, any golf questions for Scott?
1: No, (laughs) although I mean, look, as far as as far as Tiger, I mean, I don't know why anyone would have their pants their panties all tightened up about this because once he won the Masters. He really doesn't have to do anything else now, I and mean, he really doesn't. Ever, really, ever. To me, his comeback, where he came back from to win the Masters, I mean, you know, I mean, if you're a Tiger fan, what else do you want? You want the old Tiger back? That's not going to happen.
2: That's reasonable. What you're saying is reasonable. I mean, it really is. I, I just, I think, but I, but we, you know, you know how life goes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, I, I want think, more i, I want all, more I mean,
0: he's not a golf fan and, right, and, we've and, and we that, golf we've fans want little, more we want this to be right, you know but, a normal thing over yeah. the next 10 years
2: well tommy's right that, that i mean ain't that happening. masters so you that, should be that, able to feast on that
1: masters for the rest of your life
2: yeah, yeah yeah and i mean i i think people in the in real time felt that way like uh i'm good now but then like I mean, then you go to Pebble, and all you have to do is rewind the tape and go. Oh, remember what he did in two thousand? You're like, <laughs> it's pretty mate like most of the places you go, there's some frame of reference that includes him. You know, people just want that. But you're right; that guy's gone. But uh, and, and to a degree, to a degree, I think privately, Tiger would tell you, "Hey, man, like whatever else." I mean, he never thought that would happen. No, he, didn't, he it was never thought it would happen, and it did. So you're you're right, but we're greedy.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks. Talk Thanks, to Scott. you uh, later. Appreciate it.
2: All right, boys. Have a great one.
0: All right, um, that was good. I know you got bored there at the end, but I liked what you just threw in about the golf.
1: Yeah, I had something to say, and you know, I didn't. It didn't take me ten minutes to say it either.
0: Well, it took you ten minutes to go through the other thing you went through with him, <laughs> but um, uh, but that was fine. I, I, I en- you know what, I enjoyed today's show. <laughs> I thought that we had, you know, a menu of good. Not necessarily
1: excellence, <laughs>
0: Just but, we, good. but we had a menu of good today. Well, that puts his um,
1: head and tails above everybody else well,
0: in Well, I mean, yes, that's what we've always felt. Uh, congrats to Mad Max. You know, he had a big day, night last night. Yes. Hopefully the Nats can win tonight. And we gave you a very, very thorough NBA draft preview
1: absolutely we gave you a colonoscopy of the nba draft yeah and you didn't even have but
0: you didn't have to go for the through the prep before. No. um you just at, had, least, at least you guys didn't yeah, i had yeah, to tommy had to go through the prep which is the worst part of a colonoscopy anyway um don't forget to rate us and review us on itunes and tell everybody to listen on the kevin sheehan show dot com if they're not getting it on any of the platforms which include iTunes and Apple Podcasts, any of them, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere you can get a podcast, you can find The Kevin Sheehan Show. And Tommy is a part of it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully the Wizards don't do something stupid. Um, but then again, how do we know at this point? what it, what the, it, whatever well, whatever they do it'll got, take a couple of years to figure. You it out. you gotta
1: have faith in the new GM. Now <laughs>
0: you do. I mean, I, you know what I like the move that Ted yes, made and I've yes. got full confidence in him. Uh, have a great day, everybody.